This morning we, for the final time in this short series, are thinking about the family of God. We are family. And in this, our fifth study, as you know, we're thinking about unity, oneness within the family of God. Let's just pray together. Almighty God, our loving Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to belong. Indeed, Father, there is something inherent in every one of us that needs to belong. To belong to the kingdom of God in Christ. To belong to the family of God by the indwelling Holy Spirit. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you might take your word this morning and speak into our hearts and lives. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream. That one day, even in the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged according to the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the south with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountains of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, knowing that we will be free. One day, I have a dream. Martin Luther King's dream has been, indeed, continues to be shared, dreamt by many. World peace, mutual understanding, Absolute tolerance, ultimate freedom, these things that the vast majority of people all over the world dream about 
are arguably out of their reach. Sadly, as time passes on our multicolored, multicultural, multi-faith planet, it seems as though there's far more to divide humankind than there is to unite it. When it comes, however, to finding peace with God, bless God this morning, the picture is less bleak. For whereas the world struggles to find common ground upon which it might build towards lasting peace, lasting prosperity, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ provides the only environment for perfect reconciliation. Reconciliation between mankind and his God. And reconciliation between mankind and his fellow man. In other words, friends, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the great equalizer. This gospel, this good news, is God's way of salvation for you and I. And it breaks through traditional and contemporary bias and prejudice so that before God, we all find peace together. There's no other way. In Galatians 3:26 through 28, the apostle begins, uh, he writes, In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. There is no Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Wow. That was radical in the Apostle Paul's day. And it's radical today. In the gospel, friends, there is no distinction of race. Paul writes, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. In the Old Testament, we read how God called Abraham and his descendants, the Jewish race, to be a special people for himself. To entrust to them his unique self-revelation. However, the New Testament makes it clear that when Jesus Christ came, God's promise was fulfilled in Abraham's seed so that all the families of the earth would be blessed. This includes all nations of every race, every color, every creed. And so therefore, we are all equal. Equal in our need of salvation. Equal in our inability to earn that salvation or deserve that salvation. And equal in the fact that God offers salvation to us all freely in Christ. Once by faith alone we have received God's free gift of salvation, our Equality, if you like, is transformed into a fellowship of believers, which only 
Christ himself can create. A fellowship, more commonly known as the Blessed Ecclesia, the Church of Jesus Christ. In the Gospel, also, there is no distinction of rank. Paul says there is neither slave nor free. Nearly every society in the history of the world has developed its own class or caste system. Circumstances of birth, wealth, privilege and education have divided men and women from one generation to another. But in Christ, snobbery is prohibited. In Christ, class distinctions are rendered, it seems, null and void. The Apostle Paul in Romans 2.11 said, God does not show favoritism. And again, this time in Ephesians 6 verse 9, Paul writes, There is no favoritism with the Lord. My friends, there are no special pages in the Lamb's Book of Life reserved for the names of professionals or the names of celebrities or the names of managing directors or even of royalty or princes. We all must come to God the same way and that same way is through Jesus Christ alone. The Apostle Peter, preaching, addressing the profoundly religious and socially distinguished Sanhedrin, who were rulers and elders and teachers of the law in Jerusalem, said these words in Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Thirdly, in the gospel, there is no distinction of gender. Paul writes, there is neither male nor female. This remarkable assertion of the equality of the sexes was made centuries in advance of the times. Women were nearly always despised in the ancient world, even in Judaism and not infrequently exploited and ill-treated. But here, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul of all people, whom some rather ignorantly suppose that he was a kind of anti-feminist or, or some kind of male chauvinist pig, the Apostle Paul makes the assertion that in Christ, male and female are one, are equal. This means that God does not have a special place in his heart for the salvation of men in particular. It also means, of course, that on the day of judgment, God is not going to go easy on you just because you happen to be a woman. We are all equal. That's my introduction. Forgive me, I'll move more quickly.
There needs to be a word of caution here. Context, of course, in Scripture is everything. This great statement of Ephesians 3.28 does not mean that in the sight of God, racial, social, and sexual distinctions are actually obliterated. It doesn't mean that. Friends, God is not literally colorblind so that he fails to notice whether a person's skin color is black, brown, yellow, or white. Equally, God is not unaware of the cultural and educational backgrounds from which people come. Nor does God ignore a person's sex as though he would treat a woman as if she were a man or a man as if he were a woman. God created each and every person the way that he created each and every person for a reason. And friends, God delights in that reason. He delights in our uniqueness. He delights in our diversity. But the wonder of the gospel of Christ is that, and this is what Paul is teaching us, that in spite of our diversity, or perhaps even because of it, we can come together as one. Now, I've been a pastor of churches long enough to know that that is nothing short of a miracle of the grace of God. If I look around at my congregation this morning, and boy, oh boy, if ever there was, there's a mixed bag here gathered. Oh yes, a mixed bag. How mysterious it is that we can gather together here in our uniqueness with our diversity, and find common ground. Find common purpose. Move in a common direction. Isn't that incredible? It's incredible. And it's not because of the pastor, or of the deacons, or of the, 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 the leadership of the church. It's because of Christ. And so I believe as a Christian church, in spite of the Apostle Paul's inferences here in Ephesians 3.28, I believe that we can come together and celebrate our uniqueness, celebrate our diversity, rejoice in it, and yet stand together as one on the foundation that is already laid, that is Jesus Christ. And move forward as one. I believe in that. Not just for our sakes. So that we can kind of exist together. From one Sunday to the next. I believe in it for the sake. Of those outside of these four walls. For I've been a pastor of churches long enough to know. That one of the greatest things. That puts people off church, inverted commas, of Christianity, of the Christ that we profess, is the disharmony and the disunity that they perceive from where they are stood. There's no point in us saying, ah, well, they need to come in to understand. They need to be able to see us 
united in Christ from where they are at. Tragically, however, the Christian church, regardless of denomination, has projected something other than a picture of Christian unity. Rather, people outside the church, people outside Christ, perceive from where they are at disharmony, disunity, dysfunction. Wranglings about this particular theology uh, as compared to another piece of theology. Arguments about this particular expression of worship as compared to another particular expression of worship. Who's right, who's wrong? That's the perception of those outside these four walls. That's not their fault. That's the church's fault. And the reason that that is the perception is, the reason that that's what the church is communicating is, that we've lost focus upon what matters. And what matters is not our gender. Well, that's become a topic of conversation, hasn't it? Who, 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 who can or who cannot be ordained, for instance, as a, a minister of the gospel? That's a sticky wicket, depending upon which denominational line you'll follow. It divides. But you see, it's not about that. It's not about the person who was ordained for ministry, their gender. It's about the one for whom they are ordained, the God. You see? So me, whilst as a church we, we wrangle about often the minutiae of Christian doctrine, whilst we split hers about small things, the enemy himself rubs his hands and thinks, oh, I've got them exactly where I want them. Because they're communicating disharmony. They're communicating a spirit of dysfunctionality. They're communicating anything but the love of Christ. We want to win Trashland for Jesus Christ, don't we? We must. For if we, and, and perhaps our Elam brothers and sisters down the road, if we as the two evangelical churches of Trashland don't win this locality for Christ, then I ask you, who will? And if we won't, then there'll come a point where God, by his gracious tender mercy, will lose patience with us and perhaps, and perhaps remove us and place here a witness that is, in point of fact, effective. Ah, don't say it doesn't happen. It happens all the time. Open your eyes. Just look at how many chapels have closed within a stone throw of where we're standing. And so, my friends, as we think about Christian unity, yes, we think about it for, for our sake, I guess. It's nice, it's nice to feel as one. But if that's the primary reason for thinking about unity, I believe we've missed the point. It's not about me. It's not about the diaconate. It's not about the lead. It's not about us. It's about Him. It's about Him. It's all about Jesus. And we can agree upon Him. 
And everything else kind of dissolves into insignificance, doesn't it? And when we agree on him, with all our rich diversity and, and uniqueness and, and little, little idiosyncratic ways, boy, we're a strange bunch of folk, aren't we? We actually enjoy a richness in all of that. And then people in Trashland will begin to look at the church of Jesus Christ and think, boy, I want that. I need that. John Browning, you, you know of my love of poetry. I'm a right woofter. Difficult being in a, a school in Liverpool as a youngster and, and liking poetry. Whew. I used to get called all manner of names. In sixth form college, I even founded the Poetry Club. Oh my goodness. Bit of a contrast there, playing rugby, captain of the rugby team on the one hand and founding the rugby club on the other. The Poetry Club on the other, but there we are. John Browning, one of the my favorite poet says, keep the unity of spirit. Keep it in the bonds of peace. So alone shall we inherit hope and truth and blessedness. Unity, the linked communion, which with spirits, spirits hold. Love, the all-entrancing union, scattering blessings manifold. To the Christian feasts invited, welcoming the hallowing each, all accordant, all united. What sweet sympathy they speak. Willing service, free allegiance, dear dependence, peaceful bond, earth, the scene of love's obedience, heaven, the recompense beyond. It's all about Him. And in Him, in spite of our differences, we find unity. And it is in that that we will convince men and women, boys and girls, of our love for each other in Christ. And perhaps for the first time in centuries, decades, attract people to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these challenging, but encouraging scriptures. Help us to understand Paul's perspective, Father. We often think about unity in a very selfish way. And in so doing, we deny the very thing that we seek. It's all about Jesus. Might we find our unity in Christ today? And in so doing, might we become attractive? The message that we proclaim, the Christ we profess, might these become attractive to the men and the women, boys and girls, the families, 
the lonely, the isolated, the needy of Trashland and Pontypris. That we might together belong to the family of God in Christ. And we ask this in his name. Amen.